All right, you guys ready to have fun today? Let's do it. Okay, get out your Bibles. If you don't have them, if you don't have them out yet, get them out. You're gonna need those. And I would highly encourage you to be a note taker. If you're not someone who takes notes during sermons, I would challenge you to do it. Um, you you will forget most of what you hear if you don't do something more intentional to try to remember it. So if you don't take notes, if you don't review your notes, there's a good chance you're going to lose what you come here and gain. So I would challenge you to do that, to be an active listener. All right, y'all, here we go. So to kick it off, right now we are in the midst of 21 days of fasting and consecration. And if you've been here over the past couple weeks, you've probably heard Aaron say that, and then you heard Nicole say that. I think I mentioned it once, and it was on our announcements videos. So we're in these 21 days of fasting and consecration. And I want to start out by saying this. If you have been participating, I want to pause for a moment and, and actually acknowledge that. And, and just thank you. Thank you for participating. Thank you for being a part of this. And uh, I really felt this morning as I was waiting on the Lord that before we get into any of the preaching or teaching, just to pause and, and to thank you for that. I feel like he's thanking you for that. And then to let you know that he's celebrating you. And, and I felt like what he wanted some of you to know is that he's not measuring how big or how small your sacrifice is. So some of you might be thinking, oh, I'm, I'm just doing a little bit of fasting, or I'm just doing a little bit of consecration, or it's just, it's kind of small. And then there's other people who are doing something that they might perceive as big. And I, and I feel like what the Lord was saying, it's not about small, and it's not about big. It's not about the size of the sacrifice. It's about the sincerity of the sacrifice. And if you have been presenting the Lord with a sincere sacrifice during these 21 days. It's sincere. It's from the heart. It's from the motive of love. It's because you actually care about him and you want to connect with him. I want you to hear this morning that he's celebrating you and that he's proud of you and that he's deeply moved by you and that he's a father that has a big smile on his face and David, we asked him at the start of the fast, our kids, do you want to participate? We explained fasting and we explained consecration. David's first idea that he asked us at the dinner table was, Dad, can I fast wearing clothes? And I was like, that's being a nudist. That's not fasting. So no, you can't do that. Good try. And he thought about it a little bit more, and he, and he said, I'm exposing his fast to everyone. God, don't take away his reward. But he, he decided he wanted to do two days of sweets said, I want to not eat sweets for two days. And if you know anything about David, David is like our little cookie monster. This kid, like, we'll walk in the kitchen, his face will be covered in sugar. We'll be like, David, what are you doing? He's like, nothing. Playing with Legos. We're like, you're not playing with Legos. You just had your hand in the sugar jar, just straight eating sugar, you know? So this is a big deal for David to want to give up sweets for two days. And he did it. After his first day, he came home from school. The, the first moment I picked him up, he said, Dad, I didn't eat sweets at school today. Why are you doing that, buddy? I'm doing it for the Lord. He did two days, and that might seem small, but I know that God was standing in heaven going, yeah! I'm like, go, David, go! I see you, and I feel like the Lord's saying the same thing to some of you. I see you. I see what you're sacrificing. I see what you're laying on the altar, and I'm so pleased by it, and he's moved by it, and he's going to respond to you. He's going to respond to you. I want to also say this. We are now on day 14 of this season of fasting and consecration. And I want to encourage you, those of you who are starting to feel weak, those of you who are starting to feel weary, or maybe you even broke your fast. Oh, no, right? It happens, okay? Here, I want to encourage you today. If you broke your fast, if you slipped, if you messed up, if you there's bacon in your mouth and you said you weren't going to eat bacon, you're like, how did that get in there? Okay, what do you do in those moments? Well, let me tell you what you don't do. You don't put your head down in defeat, full of guilt and shame, feeling like God's mad at you, and stop fasting. What you do is you just look up real quick at your father. You say, I'm sorry, God. I totally just crushed some bacon. I'm sorry. And he'll say, I forgive you. You press delete. 
you sign back up and you keep going. That is how you succeed in fasting and consecration, okay? So if you messed up, delete. It's gone. It's erased. Done. Boom. Gone. Start again. Keep going. Finish the fast. And if you're feeling a little bit weary, my word to you today is do not grow weary in doing good. For in due time, you will obtain that which you're seeking after, okay? Do not grow weary. Keep going. Finish the fast. You got seven more days. Fulfill your vows. One of the things David said in the Psalms is, I will fulfill the vows that I have made to the Lord. If you made a promise and if you made a vow, keep it and see it through to the end. And you're going to see breakthrough come into your life. Amen? You guys receive that word? All right, just reach up and grab it. That's mine. Okay, boom. All right. Now, that's for some of you in the room. But I also recognize that there might be others of you in the room that when we say this phrase, 21 days of fasting and consecration, you, you might be sitting there with absolutely no clue what we're talking about. Some of you have come from a background where this is normal, where people do it, where people say, I'm on a fast, or I'm consecrating this or that, and that's normal language. Some of you in this room, that might be the most bizarre thing that you have ever heard. I grew up in a church where I never, ever, ever heard about fasting or consecration. I, I didn't know anyone who participated in, in that reality. And if you would have asked me as a teenager about fasting or consecration, I would have had absolutely no clue what you were talking about. I wouldn't have known how to do it. I remember being probably 15 or 16 was the first time that I ever even heard about it. I just didn't know. And so for some of you, if you're a new believer or if you're from a background where it just was never talked about, I don't want to assume that we are all on the same page about what this thing is about. You might have some questions, and that's, that's totally okay. So what do we mean when we say fasting and consecration? And why would someone even want to do that? Why would someone want to starve themselves and not eat bacon and cookies for 21 days? Why? And, and maybe even a deeper theological question is why would God want that from you? Why would God care about you being on Facebook in this season or not being on Facebook in this season? Why does he care? Why would a divine being, infinite, eternal, omnipotent, powerful, why would God care about your bacon-eating habits? Why would that affect his heart at all? Why would things happen in your prayer life because you didn't eat something for a certain amount of time? Have you ever grappled with those questions? And here's the thing. If you haven't thought deeply through the reality of fasting, you're not going to be motivated too fast. If it's confusing and unclear, you're not going to want to do it. So today, we're going to dive into those questions. I'm going to try to tackle some of those questions. I hope I can give you meaningful, relevant answers. And, and I'm hoping that by the end of this thing, as we're talking, you're going to get hungrier and hungrier for the things of God. You're going to get thirstier and thirstier for that water of the Spirit. That there will be a growing desperation on the inside of you. That's what this sermon is really about. It's about desperation and that desperate cry for more. For more of God. For more of the things of God. That ache on the inside to get a breakthrough and to move into new dimensions of the Spirit that you've never been into before. That's what I want to see stirred up on the inside of you this morning. You guys want that? Okay, cool. So that's where we're going today. So the way we're going to do that is we're going to start out by opening our Bibles to Matthew 6. We are going to examine Jesus' teaching on fasting. And I think... We might be able to get it on the screen as well, um, but it's good to have your own Bible out. Okay, Matthew 6. All right, so in this passage, Jesus is preaching one of his most famous sermons. It's come down through history as the Sermon on the Mount. Because he preached his sermon on a mount. And 
in this part of the sermon, he's really focusing in on certain spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices that were common in Judaism. And if you didn't know, Jesus was not a Christian. Jesus was a Jew. We are Christians because he is the Christ and we follow him, right? So Jesus was a Jew, and there were these spiritual practices that were common in Judaism. And everybody did these things, and they, they you kind of know this about religion. Sometimes religious, religion gets a little wonky. It, it, can just get, it can just get weird sometimes. And religious people can get weird sometimes. And sometimes we get weird and religious sometimes. And so Jesus decided that he was going to preach against the weirdness and against the religiosity and against kind of the perversion of some of these beautiful spiritual disciplines that had come into their Jewish culture. So he starts out by tackling the topic of prayer. And he begins to discuss with them some of the things that were kind of getting weird in prayer. And then he moves on, and he hits fasting. And, and here's why. You need to know this from the start, is that fasting isn't really something that's supposed to be done on its, all, on its own, okay? Fasting is something that's meant to be combined with worship and prayer, okay? So I want you to know that from the start, those, those things are integrated together. It's like a mixer. You don't just drink it by itself. You, you, you want to have fasting with the real things, okay? And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but that's why he's going straight from prayer into fasting, okay? Now, here's what he says. Matthew 6, 16. And when you fast. So I have that underlined. We'll come back here in a second. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Okay? Now, the word hypocrite in the Greek is the word for an actor, an actor on a stage, a play actor, right? Someone who's up there making a big scene about their fasting. And this was Jesus's derogatory nickname for the Pharisees who liked to do that to try to show everyone how religious and cool they were. So he's referring specifically to them, like he's throwing some big shade right here. And they're going to get ticked off about it and kill him later. So that, just so you know where the story goes. Okay, so Jesus is just, he's, he's, he's just getting on to these dudes who will crucify him later on. So, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like these hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Why were they acting? Why were they pretending? Why were they doing religious games? What was the motivation behind their spirituality? Here he identifies it. So that they would be seen by others. It wasn't for God. It wasn't really for God. It was for people. And it was to be seen, and it was to be heard, and it was to be praised by the people around them. That's why they were doing it, and they weren't really doing it to draw near to God. He said, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. This is the third time that he talks about this. The hypocrites gave because they wanted to be seen. He said, that's the only reward that they'll get. The hypocrites prayed because they wanted to be heard. He said, that's the only reward that they get. And the hypocrites fasted so that others would look at them and say, oh, how pious. He says, that's all that they will get. Meaning that God had put a block on them because of the false motives of their heart. God was saying, I will not respond to your giving and your praying and your fasting when it's done from false motives. I will not. I will block you because I care more about your heart. And if I give you the spiritual things that you're trying to get, when you're doing it like that, I'm actually endorsing it, and I can't endorse it. So I'm going to block you. Isn't that a terrible place to go on a fast? I mean, you guys think these guys would, would go on these extended fasts, and God looked at them and said, nope. Can you imagine fasting for 21 days, and God up in heaven says, nah, you're getting nothing but the praise of men because your heart was off. 
right here on day 14 of our fast, let us examine our hearts. Why are we doing it? I hope it's not like the Pharisees. I hope it's not like the hypocrites. I hope it's not for others because you don't want God to say nope at the end of it. Amen? I don't want God to say nope. Okay, here's what he says. Jesus is now going to teach us how to do it. He says, but when you fast, here's that phrase again. We'll come back to it. Anoint your head and wash your face. Now, this is a little bit of a funny language. We, we don't anoint ourselves anymore. But what this is really talking about is just normal hygiene. Okay, this is the equivalent of take a shower, take a bath, use shampoo and conditioner, get a little body soap on there, deodorant, yes, right? This is just him saying that you still need to do these things, right, when you're fasting. Because what these guys would do is they would rip their clothing and they would not take a shower or bath, and they would smell terrible, and they'd let their hair get all crazy, and, right, and then they would go out, and they would moan and groan and, like, kind of walk around the street like, oh, I'm fasting, oh, God. They would put on this big performance for people, and Jesus was disgusted with it, and he didn't want people to continue to seek God like that. So he's saying, hey, when you fast, don't make it a big deal. That's the point. Don't make it a big deal, okay? You don't need to let other people know about it. You just do it for the Lord. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others. Okay, so your motive should not be to be seen, but to not be seen. The way I explained it to Adeline, we were talking about it last week, I said, it's a beautiful secret that you get to keep with God because he's your best friend. This is something just between you two. You don't have to tell anyone at school about it. You just get to do it because it's you and God. She was so stoked to keep a secret with God, okay? This season, you're keeping a secret with God, all right? That your fasting may not be seen by others, but here's what happens when you do it from the right motives. But by your Father, who is in secret. This is the third time that Jesus says this phrase, and it's one of the most powerful descriptions of God. This is a name of God. Your father, that in itself, we could just get lost there. He is your father. But no, no, he's not just your father. He is your father who sees in secret and hears in secret and is present with you when you are in secret. God is the one who is there when no one else is there. God is the one that's behind that closed door. God is the one who knows the secrets of your mind, heart, and will. God is the one who can penetrate into the depths where no other person, not even your spouse, not even your kids, not even your best friends can go. God is in there. God is the one who is with you in secret. And he's inviting you through the spiritual disciplines to meet him in secret and to be seen by him to be heard by him, to be known by him, to be with him in that place. That's why we do the spiritual disciplines, is to draw near to God in secret. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Here's what he says. And your Father who sees in secret, this is the promise, will reward you. Can you say that? Will reward me. Get that, right? will reward me. That's a promise. You can take that to the bank right there. If you give and if you pray, and specifically what we're talking about today, if you fast and if you do it with right motives, God has given you a promise that's in his word. I will reward you. I will reward you. God wants you to want to be rewarded for fasting. Did you know that? It is not wrong to want God to give you a reward at the end of your fast. He wants to do it. That's why we do it. And he says that he delights to do it. He's a father that loves to give good gifts. A father that loves to give rewards when we do it with right motives. Amen? Okay. So, this is just a basic intro to fasting. This is one of the things that Jesus told us about fasting. But I, I want to key in on, one of the, on two of these key phrases. He says it twice. In 16, he says, and when you fast. And in 17, he says, 
but when you fast. Okay. Notice that the text does not say, but if you fast. It doesn't say if. It says when. Meaning Jesus expected his followers to fast. I want you to hear that. Jesus expected his followers to fast. And I think that I have this on the slide if we can go to the next one. But I, I want you to know that fasting is normal. Maybe you have never heard that before and you think that fasting is this super bizarre, outlandish, otherworldly, spiritual thing. Okay? It's not. Fasting was meant to be normal. It's not radical Christianity. It's not extreme Christianity. It's not living on the edge Christianity. It's not reserved for the elite or the saints. It's not for those that are in ministry and have titles and positions. Fasting is Christianity 101. Fasting is normal. It should be normal. And if it's not normal in your Christian practice, it needs to become normal in your Christian practice. When you fast, there is an expectation from Jesus, our leader, that we as his followers will do as he told us to do. And if you've never done it before, I want today to be that breakthrough day where you start to fast. I remember being in high school and having a high school youth pastor down at CLC Youth Group preach on fasting and consecration. It was the first time that I had ever heard it. And from that day forward, I began to implement fasting into my life, and I haven't stopped until now. I want today to be that day for some of you, where you hear about fasting and consecration, you've never done it before, but you start to do it, and you never stop doing it for the rest of your life. And you will find that fasting will put rocket boosters on your spiritual growth. It will put rocket boosters on your spiritual growth. You will see things accelerate in your spirit because you give yourself to the discipline of fasting. Oh, I want you to do it. I want you to start fasting. I want you to start consecrating. I want you to know the joy of receiving the reward, the spiritual reward that comes when we do this. And if you don't have that in your life yet, I desperately want you to have it. Jesus expected his followers to fast. Just a historical context, all Israelites were required by law to participate in a national fast once per year on the Day of Atonement. So if you were an Israelite, you would have participated in fasting at least once per year because the entire nation did it, okay, on the Day of Atonement. There are many stories in the Old Testament of people fasting, the great heroes of the faith, the great heroes of the Hebrew Scripture Part of the reason that they were heroes is because they gave themselves to this reality. They gave themselves to fasting and consecration, and they saw incredible breakthroughs, and those breakthroughs are the stories that we love to read. But sometimes we like to skip the part where, and they didn't eat for a long time. And then God saved the entire Israelite population in the time of Esther. We just love the movie where she walks in before the king and she's looking good and he looking good and he strips out his golden staff and she's like, oh yeah, he's like, you, right? And then it's like, everyone's saved. What about the part where the entire nation didn't eat or drink for three days? Men, women, elders, children, they did not eat or drink for three days for the salvation and deliverance of their nation. And so when Esther walked in the door and stood before the king, the reason his arms stretched out instead of calling for her execution was because their prayer had been heard in heaven on high. We love the story of the Israelites coming back from the Babylonian captivity. The story of Nehemiah rebuilding the wall. The story of Ezra rebuilding the temple. The stories, right, of Daniel in the lion's den and being delivered. Do you know that in the midst of all of those beautiful stories was fasting and consecration? Do you know that it said that at the end of 70 years, which Jeremiah had prophesied that the children of Israel would go into exile, that Daniel set his heart to understand and for 21 days gave himself to fasting and consecration because he knew that there was a prophecy, but the prophecy wasn't going to come to pass unless there was a people that partnered with it. And so he got down on his face for 21 days asking in repentance for Israel to be spared and brought back to the land. 
And at the end of those 21 days, an angel appears before him and says, Daniel, man whose name is known in heaven, from the first day that you set your face to fast, you were heard on high. I was released, an archangel, but I've been grappling with the prince of Persia, but I have now overcome. And I'm here to tell you, your people are going back. This is the great story. These were the legends that were told in the land of Israel that inspired young Jewish boys and young Jewish girls. And when they heard these stories, they recognized, I want to be a part of that legacy. I want to fast. I want to consecrate because I want to see God answer my big prayers. And I want to see breakthroughs that shape history. That's what you get to participate in when you join in fasting and consecration. Can I get an amen? All right. A little bit more historical context. First century Jews fasted twice a week. They fasted on Monday and Wednesday. There are multiple historical documents that cite this. That passed on to the early Christian movement. Christians fasted twice per week, but to distinguish themselves from being Jewish, they did it on Wednesday and Friday. Friday specifically because that was the day that Jesus was crucified. And so in their Friday fast, every week, they would remember the death and burial of Jesus. And they would seek to be united by that. And then they would come into their Sunday morning meeting, and they would celebrate his resurrection. Isn't that beautiful? This is our legacy. This is the inheritance that's been passed down by the saints to us. All that to say, fasting is normal. Okay, it's part of being a Christian. There are four different types of fasts. There's lots of actual different types of fasts, but I just want to give four to you. Here we go. There's kind of two dimensions. One, we have examples in the scripture where a person would fast alone. They would fast by themselves, and it would be between them and God because they were seeking a personal breakthrough. Hear this. A personal fast is meant for a personal breakthrough. A personal fast is meant for a personal breakthrough. If you're trying to get a breakthrough in your personal sphere, then you should do a personal fast, okay? But then we also, we'll look at this passage here in a second, but then there's also examples where the entire church or the entire community or the entire city, like the city of Nineveh, or the entire nation, like the nation of Israel, would go on a fast. And I want to put the same principle before you. A corporate fast is because you're seeking a corporate breakthrough. Why are we doing 21 days of fasting and consecration together, corporately, as a community? It's because we're believing for a breakthrough that will touch our whole church and our entire city. A corporate fast is for a corporate breakthrough, okay? So there's personal fasting, there's corporate fasting. You can look at these pas passages later. We already talked about the, the regular, routine, weekly, scheduled fast. You can read this. There's a document called the Didache. It's the, the teaching of the 12 apostles. It's from the late first century. It's one of our earliest documents from the early church. And in it, it talks about that they would fast on Wednesdays and Fridays together. That was a normal part of the church all around the world in the first century, okay? So... We've got regular fasting, but then there's also this reality of extended fasting. That's when we see people in the Bible going on seven-day fast, 21-day fast, 40-day fast, right? Jesus went on a 40-day fast. Daniel went on a 21-day fast. Esther called everyone to a three-day fast of no eating and no drinking. These are extended fasts. And the reason that you would go on an extended fast is because you're seeking after a big breakthrough, right? The, the, the regular fasting that Christians do, it's so that we can actually sustain breakthrough in our hearts. Why did they fast on Wednesdays? Why did they fast on Fridays? They did that so that they could take that time, that energy, and those resources, the money that they would have spent on food that they're now saving. They took all that and they turned it and they gave it to God. You get extra time and extra energy from me on Wednesdays and Fridays. That's what they did. And I'm taking this money, I'm going to give it to the poor. That was their common practice, okay? And that was to just live leaned into God. 
That was so that their hearts wouldn't grow dull. That was so that their spirit would stay sharp and alive and active. That's why they did their weekly fasting. But there was times when their church needed a breakthrough. And that's when they would all get on their knees together and go on an extended fast. And that's when God would break in and do remarkable things. You guys with me? So the four types of fasting. All right, let's move forward. So in these passages, we see that fasting was common. It was expected of Christians. In fact, Christians would go on a seven-day fast before they would be baptized in the first and second and third centuries. Seven-day fast, you would come in, you would be baptized. Another random fact, they were always baptized in the nude. I don't know why. It was a very Roman thing. You would always bathe in the nude. So it was only men, it was only women, and you would get baptized separately. These are just random historical facts. Okay? But they would go on a seven-day fast so they would come into baptism spiritually hungry and spiritually thirsty. They would come into baptism empty and ready to be filled. And they would come out of the waters of baptism, and then the bishop of their local church would lay his hands on them and ask them to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately after them, they would take them for the very first time to participate in the love feast and to have communion. You weren't allowed to come to the feast or to have communion until after you had been baptized. And so they would break their seven-day fast, celebrating with the church for the very first time. Isn't that epic? That's how they did in the first century. Okay, so normal. But just because we looked at this passage, it still doesn't answer some of the basic questions that we might have about fasting and consecration. So you guys okay if I just get into the nitty-gritty? Just get practical for a few minutes? Okay, here we go. So... Let's just start by this. I know we've been talking about it, but I don't want to assume everyone understands. What do we mean by fasting? The term fasting. What is it? What is it not? Okay. So if we're being technical, this is what fasting is biblically. Fasting is when you give up eating or drinking for spiritual reasons. Okay. Fasting is when you give up eating or drinking for spiritual reasons. It, it is specifically related to food and drink. Okay. And it doesn't matter if you say I'm going on a media fast. It, that's just semantics. Like, don't get caught up in that. But, but if you're just asking what the Bible says, that, that is what it's about, okay? Now, just a reminder. If you give up eating and drinking for physical reasons, meaning not spiritual meaning, meaning after the holidays you were getting a little thick, and January 1st rolled around and you took a look in the mirror and you did a little assessment and you realized, okay, I, I got to do something about this. And you begin to eat less and drink less. That's, that's not fasting. Come on. You're trying to shave off those 5 to 10 pounds. That's not a fast. That's a diet, beloved. Okay. You are on a diet. So if it is for physical reasons, it's not a fast. If it's for spiritual reasons, it is a fast. Okay. Here's the other thing. If you are not eating and drinking because you do not have access to food or drink, that is not fasting either. That is starving. Okay. So... It's not a fast if you're dieting. It's not a fast if you're starving. It is a fast if you are voluntarily, sacrificially giving up food and drink because you want to seek after God. That is fasting. Clear? All right, cool. Now let's switch to the next term. What do we mean by consecration? That's a term that we've been throwing around. Nicole introduced it last week, this idea of devotion and, and giving everything. And So the term consecrate it literally means to be set apart. It's tied directly into the word for holy, which also means to be set apart, right? To consecrate something is to make it holy, to make it separate, to make it distinct, to make it different from everything else, right? If you took a bull and you consecrated that bull, which they did in the Old Testament, what it means is that you're never going to eat common soup out of that bowl again. That bowl is only to be used for spiritual purposes. It's only to be used perhaps in the temple or in the tabernacle. That bull is consecrated. It's set apart, right? The tent, the tabernacle, the temple, those were consecrated places, sacred space where you wouldn't go in there to do common things, Right? You wouldn't go in there and like need your bread for the day. You wouldn't go in there to do your chores. You wouldn't go in there to negotiate a deal with a fellow businessman. That's not what you do in that space. It's sacred space. It's set apart. 
So when we talk about consecration, what we're saying is that we are consecrating ourselves for a certain time from certain things. So if you go on a media consecration, what you're saying is for a certain period of time, I am separating myself from media, from social media, from this or that, because I want to seek the Lord with a greater level of passion and focus. Okay? You guys with me so far? So this is what we mean by fasting. This is what we mean by consecration. That's the basic definitions. Okay. So now I want to ask, like, the deeper question. Why do Christians do this? Jesus told us to do this, and now we understand what it is, but we might not fully comprehend why. Why, why, why? Why do we do this? Okay. I think I have it up, and we can put up it. Fasting and consecration add intensity and desperation to our pursuit of God. Fasting and consecration add intensity. It adds in desperation. It adds in hunger and thirst. It stirs up deep wells of desire so that when you worship, you worship different. When you pray, you pray different. I promise you, if you go on a fast, seven days in, beloved, you will pray different than you did before you started fasting. That thing that you're asking God for, you're going to ask different when you want to eat a steak. Fasting and consecration, it brings in this element of intensity. Okay? That's what it does. It doesn't just bring in intensity and desperation. I'll give you a few other things it brings in. It brings in humility. When we empty ourselves through fasting and consecration, it's a way of lowering ourselves down before God in humility. And God says, a broken and contrite heart I will not deny. God says, I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. I'll tell you what else it brings into your worship and prayer. It brings weakness. You say, well, why do I need weakness? Because what God revealed to Paul was in your weakness, I am made strong. For it is not by might or by power, says the Lord, but by my spirit. Do you know there's times where you're too strong for God to move in your life? A lot of times we think, I'm too weak for God to use me. No, no, no. More often, you're too strong for God to use you. You think, I'm too empty for God to use you. No, no, no. A lot of times, you're too full of the things of this world and the things of this age and the distractions of this life for God to utilize you. Sometimes, what we need is to empty out so that we can be filled by the Spirit of God and for Him to start to move through us. Do you feel me? That's why we do it. It brings humility. It brings weakness. It brings sincerity. It brings intensity. It brings desperation. And those are all things that move the heart of God. Say, Corey, prove it to me. All right. Fine. Fine. If you don't believe me, I'll prove it to you from the Word. Okay? Here's the question. Why would a Christian need to be intense or desperate for God to respond? Why, why, why does that matter? Okay, Because that could raise some weird theological questions. You're like, is God a father that won't listen to me until I throw a tantrum? Is that what we mean by fasting and consecration? Is God a judge that's sitting up there on his throne that doesn't really care about our case? And until we're like that persistent widow bothering him over and over again? Finally says, okay, 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 okay. You've, you've, you're screaming so loud. Okay, come here. What do, you, what do you want? All right, here's your breakthrough. Is God reluctant? Is that why we have to fast and consecrate? Is because God doesn't want to give? There's something in him that can't give? Is he restrained? This is where I want us to grapple with the theology. That's not it. Here's what it is, though. God has determined that he will relate to us on the basis of faith. 
It is part of the equation in how we relate to God. Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. There is something about faith, and on the other hand, unbelief, that touches the heart of God. And that affects the way that he chooses to relate with us. There are two instances in the New Testament over and over again where it says that Jesus was amazed or astounded. Do you know why he was amazed or astounded? Two things. It says that he was amazed or astounded at their faith. And it also says that he was amazed or astounded by their unbelief. Why do we need desperation? Why do we need intensity? Because it's part of the faith dimension. It's part of us approaching God in real faith, believing that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he said that he will do. And sometimes we need fasting and consecration to break through into that dimension of faith, right? And I tell you, there are so many stories in the Word where faith is what moved Jesus to action. Once upon a time, Jesus' mom came to him, and they were at a wedding party together. And they had run out of wine. And she said, Jesus, they've run out of wine. The party's about to be ruined. The hosts are about to be ashamed. Do something. And Jesus said, woman, P.S., don't call your mom woman. I read that passage in high school. I tried it on my mom. I never tried it again. Okay, so don't do it. But Jesus can get away with it because he's the son of God. So Jesus said, woman, do you not know that it's not my time? I, I'm not supposed to be doing miracles yet. And she totally mom one-ups him so hard. She says to the servant, she just passed Jesus. Servants, bring him jars. She just sets him up. All right? That is the faith dimension. She was so desperate that she couldn't take no for an answer from her son. Jesus looked up at the father. The father looked back down at him. He was like, all right, it's time now. Mary changed the timeline. She broke the multiverse. Like, what happened there? He said, it's not time for miracles. Mary says one thing in desperate faith. Now it's time for miracles. Okay, right? There's a group of friends who have a paralyzed brother, and they want to see him healed, but the crowd is too large, and Jesus is in a small house, and they can't get to him. So they have a brilliant idea that only young adults could come up with. We're going to climb up on the roof. We're going to rip apart the ceiling. We're going to lower him down, and maybe he'll get a miracle. So they go up on these people's roof. They rip apart their architecture. They let down their friend, and Jesus doesn't rebuke them. According to your faith, let it be done to you. There's a woman who comes to Jesus, and she wants her daughter to be here, but she's a Gentile. And Jesus says to her, woman, I have been called to the lost sheep of Israel. I'm not called to you. It's not time for the mission to begin to the Gentiles. And he keeps walking. And she says, no, 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I need a miracle. My daughter's sick. Like, I can't leave with nothing. I'm sorry. Gotta go. I haven't been called to the Jewish dogs. And this was the term that they had used back and forth for Jews and Gentiles. And she says, but master, even a dog would be content to come up to the master's table and to eat the crumbs. Father, I know it's five years from the Gentiles receiving the good news of the kingdom. And the father says, I can't resist it. I can't resist it. That, that level of desperation, that level of faith, that reach from that Syrophoenician woman, turn around, son, heal her daughter. Boom, the timeline is shifted. Jesus says, go, and according to your faith, let it be done. There are so many more stories of desperation that we could share. Band, if you want to come up, this would be a good moment. We could talk about Zacchaeus climbing into the tree and screaming out for Jesus to come and dine at his house. Who did he eat supper with that night? 
We can talk about blind Bartimaeus crying, son of David, do not pass me by. And Jesus flipped the whole crowd around to zone in on him. We can talk about the woman of the issue of blood who pushed her way through the crowd to lay hold of the hem of the garment of Jesus. There is something about desperate faith. There is something about that intense reach that actually touches the heart of God. And when you touch his heart, he'll often lift his hand. And miracles, signs, wonders, breakthroughs, testimonies, the things of the kingdom begin to be released. Friends, there is a dimension of faith that the Lord wants to usher us into. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Church, I want you to stand with me. God has given us something that we can do in desperate times. Have you ever felt like the world around you is in a desperate state and just thought, I, I can't do anything? The world is broken. I can't do anything about it. Our nation is broken and divided. I can't do anything about it. This pandemic has been rough for a lot of people. Oh, I guess we just can't do anything about it. We're just victim of circumstance. No. Church, God has given us something that we can do. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And fasting and consecration, particularly extended fasting and consecration, is one of those desperate measures that have the ability to release unprecedented breakthrough in our sphere. This is the hour to fast. And I believe that for some of you today, God is stirring you to engage in fasting. ministry team, if you're in the room, I'd like you to come forward. I think that we've only got a few today, so even if you're a, a ministry leader, if you're one of our, if you're one of our leaders in any dimension of the church, I'll, I'd actually like you to come forward if you could help us out. Um, even if you don't have your little name badge on, if you're one of our leaders, please come forward. I need your help today. If you're pastors, if you can, come on up. Here's my final question. When do we fast? When do we fast? Let me give you a couple situations. If you are stuck in sin and know that you can't get out on your own. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. If you're in the pit and you've tried to climb the sides and you recognize that someone has to reach down and pull you out. If your chains are too thick and your bondage too tight and it's been there for too long and you've gone to every program and you've asked for help, beloved, there is something that God has given us that can break chains and set captives free. If you're in that situation, it might be time for you to give yourself to fasting and consecration. If you're stuck in the past, bound by guilt and shame, haunted by things that you've done, and you constantly relive it, and you can't seem to shake it, and you can't move on, and you can't move forward, and you feel like you're stuck in the mud, and you can't get any traction in life. God has given you something that can get you unstuck. That's my favorite thing about fasting. When I get stuck, I know what to do. When my heart gets stuck in the journey, I know what to do. You ever been bitter and you can't stop being bitter? I'll give you something that'll rip it out of you. You ever been angry and you can't stop being angry? I forgive them, I forgive them, I forgive them. I'm gonna kill them. I will give you something that can rip the anger out. Tempted and you can't stop saying yes to it. Oh, there's a cure, beloved. There's a way that God has invited us to seek him and he'll reach down and help us. If you are in a desperate situation, 
where there is no natural solution. You have a diagnosis where there's no natural solution. Friend, I'm not saying that it'll happen necessarily, but listen, I know that things happen when we fast. I have seen radical breakthroughs when people fast. Maybe a relationship that, that will not change, a situation at work that will not break, and something's gotta give, but you can't find any way to make it give. It might be time for you to go on a fast. If you are experiencing spiritual warfare and sense that the enemy is resisting the call of God on your life, you might need a fast. If you need wisdom and revelation, you need to hear from heaven and you need God's counsel in your life. You might need to fast. And here's the big one, and this is usually why I fast. If your heart has grown hard, cold, or distant from God, if you're not burning in the way that you remember burning, if you're not doing the things that you did at first, friend, it might be time for you to go on a fast. I want you to close your eyes where you are right now. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Begin to move through this room right now. Come Holy Spirit right now. I'm just gonna begin to pray for you right now. Lord, I'm asking that you would release hunger. All across this room, I'm asking that you would release hunger, spiritual hunger, that you would begin to stir up that spiritual appetite, release it right now. All across this room, God, release it, God, thirst, panting for your spirit. Lord, I'm asking right now that you would release desperation, a fresh wave of desperation that would crash over our church. A fresh baptism of the fires of desperation, God. Release it right now. Release it right now, God. If you're in this room and if you're feeling what I'm praying into you, if you feel hungry today, if you feel thirsty today, if you feel desperate for God today, or maybe you know that you need to feel desperate for God today, I want you to begin to come forward and allow our leaders to lay hands on you. And leaders, I want you to pray for a fresh baptism of desperation.